Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 46 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma today is Joanne Toller. Just about three and a half years ago now, her daughter Taylor was tragically murdered right here in Calgary. You might have heard about it on the news. Taylor's boyfriend at the time, Dustin, had murdered her and then also murdered his parents five days later. This week, I got to sit down with Joanne to talk about her grief and coping following the death of her daughter, how she herself has changed including her anxiety, and we get into a little bit of her therapy journey and finding what works for you. She shared a little bit about what helped her and what didn't, what she would have done differently, and as a former addict herself, she understands and has forgiven her daughter's killer. She also started the Taylor Toller Fund in memory of Taylor, raising money for addiction, mental health, and family violence. Now, as you guys know, my podcast is aimed at the mental health side of things, so if you're interested in hearing more about the case, you can head over to Joanne's sister's podcast, which is called A Million Other Choices. You can check that out on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Hi! How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's nice to finally meet you. Yes, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for um, rescheduling with me. Yeah, that's no problem. And that was so cool that you and my sister um, had a chance to co- collaborate. I listened to her podcast last night, and she I thought she did a great intro for you. So Yeah, it was uh, I don't fantastic. Know if you had a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to um, both of her episodes of your story, and they were amazing, amazing. I thought it was so good. Yeah, well, something's got to come out of all of this, so. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to hear your perspective, because you have a different perspective on mental health, I think, than a lot of people. Obviously, there are way too many parents out there that have been through the tragedy of losing a child, so thank you for coming on and being open to sharing your story and your vulnerability. So my podcast focuses on kind of the mental health side of the story so we'll probably focus more on kind of your healing journey and what you've been through since everything happened um but I guess as for kind of a background for everyone that's listening do you want to explain a little bit kind of what happened um to your daughter and to your family yeah okay all right it's just because the story kind of starts with a little bit of history on addiction, yeah. it was actually uh, my second year sober, and I was out on a camping trip with a friend of mine, and um, my daughter had, my mom had texted me that she was missing, and she's a mini-me, so when I was her age, I would quite often take off, people wouldn't know where I was, and I was partying somewhere, so I just assumed that she had done the same, and uh, that 
later got a phone call from my ex-husband, her, her dad, that her boyfriend uh, had killed her. So I came back into, I came, I, we, I came back into town. I had to phone my other daughter was in, she was doing a, a semester abroad. So we had to, to phone her and tell her the news and get her back into town. And then obviously my mom and my sister and just get the whole entire family together to just make sense of what was going on because the, the boy who had actually killed her, um, he turned himself in and, and it, it wasn't just her, it was his parents as well that he had killed. So he had, had killed my daughter on a Wednesday and then by that Monday he had killed his parents and turned himself in. Wow. Yeah, so that started that whole whole journey. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. You so you got the yeah, news yeah. through a text message? I had a bunch of missed phone calls because I was up in the mountains and I didn't have cell service. So when I finally did get cell service I had all these missed calls and text messages to phone. So then I phoned um, my mom. I couldn't get through to her. So then I phoned my ex-husband and he answered the call. And, and that's how I, I found out. And then a few moments after that, a detective phoned me and had some questions for me and, and asked if I could come back into town, which obviously I was already on my way. And, and, and that began that whole process. But after that, we had to go in and, and meet with the police and give statements and uh, deal with, you know, deal with the funeral. Um, mm -hmm. I had her cremated. And that was one of the things is I didn't want her to go alone. I wanted to be with her she got cremated and then what is she gonna wear and just just and then I had her landlord phoning me to say that who's gonna pay for all of this and then we find out afterwards that her dog the dog that she shared with Dustin he had he had also hurt the dogs he had slit her the dog's throat and stabbed the dog so now I have this dog <laughs> and I'm fostering and it was just one thing after another yeah oh my gosh Oh. Yeah, and it didn't quite stop there. I'm not done yet. <laughs> so then the, the boyfriend, the fellow that I was in, in BC with at this time, he he broke up with me, uh, of course, because this, no, he didn't sign up for that. So my relationship ended. And then one of the girls that I sponsored, she hung herself. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And then I had another friend that he OD'd and died, he, he relapsed, Odita died, and then my, my son's best friend from childhood, Odita died, then my mom's best friend had cancer and died, and, and then my stepbrother uh, had an underlying heart condition, went to bed one day and just didn't wake up, he, he passed away too, so this is all in eight months, we had, it was one thing after another. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That so you talk about mental health. Well, I went in to I went in to see my doctor at a doctor's appointment, and he was extremely worried because I was um, flatlined. And I had no emotion. Yeah. I was. He was extremely worried about my mental health. I was. I was traumatized. I had PTSD. I. It was. It was too much. It was all just too much. So that's 
where my journey started is realizing, wow, I'm not okay. This has been way too much and too short of a time, and I have to get some help. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine going through all of that in such a short amount of time. That is, oh, that is devastating. That's some pretty crazy things to your head. I, I yeah. you know, people always joke and say that, oh, I have PTSD. Well, unless you really had PTSD yeah. and know what that feels like, it's, 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 it's taken actually a couple of years to really work through that where I can hear a loud noise and not completely crater or be put into a, even a slightly stressful situation and not break out crying. Mm-hmm. I, crying is my stress response. <laughs> I just, yeah. I get overwhelmed and I start to cry and all of these things that what happened to that strong independent woman I just I I wasn't me anymore that is one of my biggest pet peeves too is when people talk about being depressed when they don't really know what that means to somebody that actually suffers from depression like that just oh that irks me so much so yeah I know exactly what you're talking about oh my gosh so how did you I guess, grieve and cope with all of this that was happening in your life? Um, well, that's where it was good that I I was sober and I was mm-hmm. in, um, I had a lot of resources around me for that because, so I lost my, I'll use an example, my, I lost my stepbrother around the same time and I watched his mom go through it and she wasn't and I was, wow. and I cut through the process a little bit faster because I wasn't taking the medication, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't, I wasn't doing all those numbing things. I was actually, I had no choice but to go straight through it and feel it and, and do something about it so that I didn't drink again. So that really saved my butt is that I, I had to, I just had to. I, I got mm-hmm. into trauma counseling and that talk therapy Not that it doesn't work because it works well for a lot of people, but it didn't for me. Uh, I did a a book called The Grief Recovery Handbook, and I did that with my sponsor, and that was amazing. It got me in touch with a lot of the short-term pain mechanisms that I was using, even though I wasn't drinking. I was still isolating and, you know, binge-watching Netflix and doing all these other things. And then I did somatic experience, which the the somatic therapy, which is amazing. Just a few. Then Reiki. Mm. Uh, That was that was fun. I like that. And I did um, massage therapy, and I did breath work. A lot of breath work. Oh wow! And and those things really helped me out quite a bit. Yeah. Have your coping mechanisms changed over time? And like, do you use the same things today? Yeah, I still use a lot of those today. That Learning all of those, especially the breath work, the, the ability to just stop in a stressful situation and just breathe. Or when I'm feeling feelings that are comfortable, use some of the somatic stuff and, and oscillating in and out of it. I know my, my husband, because he, with all of this stuff that is coming up, my sister's podcast about Taylor, um, it's on Crime Beat. It's going to be it's in, a do, in a documentary that's coming out with me doing this. She, he says, well, why do you keep doing that to yourself? And and it's okay. I can feel it. I can feel it now because I can oscillate out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of healthy for me to go to that place in a healthy way and then move out of it. Yeah. 
I was going to ask you, what kept you sober after going through all of this and not turning to those vices that you had for so long? Like, what kept you from going back to that? Knowing that it wasn't going to make it better. In fact, it would make it worse. So imagine the grief and the pain and the depression and that horrible place I was in and then dump alcohol on it. (laughs) It's going to be even worse. And I just, I just knew that I, I had with my experience with alcohol. I, I know that I got sober. It was because I was sitting with a friend and I was about to go into another depression. I could feel another clinical depression coming on. And he said to me that that's why he quit drinking because the alcohol stopped working. In fact, it was making it worse. And that clicked for me that the alcohol makes the depression worse. Yeah. And that depression is so awful that I realized at that moment, oh, yeah. <laughs> so knowing that that the depression that can come with alcohol, yeah. uh, I just, I didn't want any part of that. It wasn't even a thought for me to drink. Was that a part of the reason why you decided to get sober in the first place? No, no, it was definitely the the depression. Yeah, and I and, and not doing everything that I wanted to to do. You know, waking up every morning saying, "Okay, that's it. I'm going to stay sober today. I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to get my life together." And then by four o'clock that evening, I'm drinking again. That cycle and doing that every single day, every day, waking up saying this is going to be different today. And no, mm-hmm. wow. Well, good for you. That's amazing. I have some really good people in my life who help show me the way. So, yeah, oh yeah. I really think that we are a, the the five people closest or the five people closest to us are a direct reflection of who we are. Absolutely. That, yeah. When I was out drinking, the five people closest to me, uh, but you know, now that I'm not, now that I'm on this healing journey, I have even more amazing people around me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And you attract, yeah. you attract people, or you attract um, the energy, I guess, that you give off yourself. And so the people around you are, they just feed, they feed into your, your own energy, and it, it can either make it better or, or worse. Yeah, no, I I saw that. I saw when I was in my deep depression and, and in the grief, the people that I was attracting in my life mm-hmm. and knew that I had to make a change. I, I had to get that light back somehow. That was the biggest struggle was getting that that connectedness back, that just that feeling of centeredness and spirit. It was it was gone for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you decide to get help like right away after all of this or or was there kind of a turning point when you when you realized that you needed to get help or something needed to change actually I got help right away because I knew that if I didn't get help I was going to be in trouble but I think I got help too soon oh really I because I was working so hard in the beginning rather than than feeling a lot of what I was I mean I was feeling it but I think I got help too soon because it was about a year later when we were going through the preliminary trial that I I absolutely cratered I mean I was in an airport in Vancouver and they had to call a special team (laughs) to come and deal with me I was freaking out so bad And that's not like me. I'm not the type of person that you see raging in an airport, right? Mm-hmm. At a at a poor 
<laughs> flight attendant. Um, anyhow, it was after that that uh, I got some more counseling, and and that's one of the things that we talked about. That you know, I I really did it soon. I did it fast and hard, and I should have just allowed myself a bit more time to just be in that place. I've never heard that before. Getting help too soon, but that is such a good point. Wow, and I guess that's different for everyone. Yeah, it, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think for some things, getting help right away is is very important. Yeah, but because I know with my stepmom, she finally got the help, but she got the help when she was ready to get the help. Yeah, I got the help before I was really ready. I got the help because I knew I had to. And there's a big difference between doing it because you have to and doing it because you're ready and you're you're willing. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. That's a really good point. I think a lot of people, like what you have been through is something that most people never in their lifetime would would have to deal with. And so other people don't always know how to kind of respond to that or react or I guess comfort you when you're in a situation like that. So was there anything that people would say or do when you're going through all this that didn't help or or made it worse for you? Yeah, when people would complain about stuff that was just ridiculous compared to, you know, they, they think their life is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> that would upset me. Um, but something that my friends did that was great was I was, I called it my grief bubble. So I was in this little bubble and everybody else was on the outside, but I couldn't connect to them, right? I was just in my little bubble and they would grab me and take me out. We have something called bro night where we all get together, we cook, we hang out and they would pretty much force me to go, sit me in a corner and let me just sit there and watch everything that was going on. I didn't have to interact because I could just sit there and, and not... I didn't have to do, do anything. I didn't have to say anything. I could just sit there and be around them, but I could still be in my little grief bubble. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. They I didn't put any that. pressure on me to try and, and, you know, do any, I didn't have to do anything. I could just sit there. Yeah. It's nice. I love that so much. Sometimes you just need to kind of be around people that love you and care about you, but maybe you're not at that point where you want to interact or really do anything, but just being in that same space as the people that care about you is so helpful. Yeah, Yeah. it was because I was also one of the other things that happened with it all is I became very socially awkward. I, and that one I haven't had explained to me yet. How does that happen? Like, how did I go from being this kind of extroverted person to being so socially awkward? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That took me a while to get back out of it. Yeah. I mean, you seem very um, extroverted now. Yeah. Yeah. There was a moment when everything just sort of broke and I became myself again. Mm. It, uh, yeah, it was a good moment. Again, it was like I was sitting on it and I remember the moment. I was laying on a, a couch. I was out with a friend of mine visiting his family. And I was laying on the couch and I was laughing and it just hit me. Oh, God, that feels good to laugh again. And it just, everything kind of broke from there. And then it, uh, that's when I started doing breath work as well, too. Though the, the breath work really helped me. Oh, I love that. Oh, that makes me so happy for you. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So are they? I'm happy too. 
been a long road back here. It's yeah. been a very long road. Yeah. I guess it's different for everyone, like the amount of time that it takes to get back to yourself and kind of grieve on your own time, I guess. So it's yeah, been yeah. it's been what, three years? Yeah, it's been over three years now. I guess we'll be coming up on three and a half here pretty soon. Um and it's still it still comes and goes. I mean I had a I had a good cry the oh, other absolutely. day about it and I still miss her terribly. And I, I was thinking about her today actually, about how I would love to have her working for me. I think she'd be really good at this. I'm looking for someone to help out uh, with the business and I, she would have been perfect. And it just made me so sad to know that she can't. Um, yeah. So it's still there. It's just not crushing anymore. Yeah. It's not completely overwhelming anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's so good to hear. I mean, losing somebody especially a child that that never goes away right it's it's gonna come and go and like you'll feel you'll have your moments but I'm so glad that that doesn't it's not debilitating I guess yeah because yeah, for a while there it was it was pretty bad especially that the PTSD that was wow I haven't uh, really ever experienced it to that degree that yeah you know that yeah did you experience some um, like flashbacks? Um, yeah, there. I didn't remember a lot of what happened in the beginning, but then all of a sudden, I would have these memories, and like mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten about how I walked with the casket down to the cremation. And then they said to me, "Do you want to press the button?" And I lost my mind. I'm like, "What? <laughs> no, I don't want to press the button. Like I'm just, I'm just here because she can't do this alone." And 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 I forgot about that. And so little things would come back. And then, but it was really sounds. I would hear a loud sound and I would just, I'd want to crawl underneath the table. Um, I was, I felt very shell shocked. I really felt shell shocked. Oh, I, wow. I can completely understand how it, you know, that's coming back from overseas feel like it's yeah. just the noise. It, it's so startling. And it's, and it's this, my nervous system, I could, feel how tight that I was wound and how strung out that I was oh that's so interesting so noise affected you without having Um, experienced kind of a traumatizing noisy event yeah no the noise was probably that and then any little bit of stress uh would lead me to just melt down and start crying I, I just couldn't handle stress many times Wow. I was in I was in a Lowe's once talking to them about getting a new countertop and he started it started to get confusing with the pricing and everything and I broke down in tears <laughs> just things like that that yeah. I just would get overwhelmed I had a woman that I was working with at the time that's kind of nasty <laughs> she's really horrible actually and she'd look at me sideways and I'd start crying because I, <laughs> I couldn't handle her negative energy and you know oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> That's one thing I did want to ask you about is if you've noticed any any changes in yourself since everything happened, like, do you find yourself more anxious now or um, experiencing, like, depression at certain times? Yeah, no, the depression has been good because I was prone to that before I quit drinking. I had quite a few clinical depression, like bouts of clinical depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that's been good. 
Uh, I do worry about my other kids. Um, I still, if, if I get a phone call late at night, my heart pounds. I, yeah. I just, it's the worst possible thing. So there, there's still some anxiety there. I, you know, with my, with my, my partner, my husband, I'm terrified that he's going to die on me one day and just little things like that. But I've learned through all of the different tools, how to handle that so that it doesn't become overwhelming or that I don't dwell on it and go down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Has your relationship with kind of the rest of your family changed at all since all of this happened? Yeah. Yeah. We're all very tight. We're more, we were a tight family to begin with, but we're Mm -hmm. even more so now. Yeah, definitely. Even, even my relationship with my ex-husband, we, we fought for years. It was a brutal divorce after this happened, uh, we now check in, you know, and make sure that the, the full family is doing okay. We had group activities together. You know, we're very supportive of them and they're very supportive of us. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah, because it can, it can have the opposite effect. It can yeah. drive families apart. And for us, it really brought us a, a lot closer together. Oh, that's amazing. Do you know if there's any like support groups or anything for parents who have suffered a loss like this? Like, do you know of any, or did you, are you a part of any? Uh, yeah, there's, I really struggled to find support yeah. um, when I was going through this. There is a, a homicide support group here in Calgary, which is amazing. Mm. Uh, but for the grief and for the, the trauma counseling and, and there's, you have to pay for it. There's a couple of free services, like there's the Calgary Catholic families and Caria. There's a few that are free, but to do any of the stuff for me that works, so the somatic work, the breath work, all of that, you have to pay. It's not covered under your insurance, which is unfortunate because that's what saved me. But I had to pay for all of that. Actually, I shouldn't say that because I had some amazing people in my life who introduced me to it. And um, the people in that community gave me really good deals or either that or this one fellow and this other lady too actually did it for free. Yeah. Yeah. I find the hardest yeah, part just they, is finding the proper resources or the right resources or the right support, I guess. That's so hard. Yeah. Because so for me, it was, I tried a whole bunch of things to find what worked yeah. and then turns out what works is quite expensive and you don't have insurance. Yeah. And even if you do have insurance, it's not going to cover that stuff. So, no. so it, it really is about the lack of mental health resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one thing that bothers me a lot is the lack of coverage on um, insurance plans for mental health uh, supports and resources. I think that should yeah. be so much higher. Yeah. So that place that I was telling you about, if you're looking for other interviews, just sort of on the side, they have a free walk-in clinic that they're opening up in Winnipeg on December 1st for mental health. And they have like highly trained therapists. So it's one day a week. They're offering this free walk-in mental health clinic because it's exactly that. It's it's impossible for lower income people without insurance to, to get the help they need. Oh, that is amazing. I love that. Yeah. We should have that here. Yeah, (laughs) I know, right? I keep telling them they got to do it here. And they keep saying, yeah, get your training and then you open one. I don't have time for that. (laughs) 
So do you work in kind of a mental health related field? I work in the nonprofit sector. Oh, okay. So I'm a, I, I do nonprofit, well, nonprofit or socially responsible for profits. I do uh, digital marketing and digital fundraising. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm very familiar with a lot of the nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So like I said before, I listened to your story on your sister's podcast. Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've almost kind of forgiven Dustin for what he did, or I guess because of your personal past, you have an understanding, somewhat of an understanding of how it all could have happened while, I guess, in the drug-induced psychosis. Is that is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have, um, I have seen drug psychosis. Uh, I, so in, as a sober woman, I try and help other sober women. So I've, I've seen it. I've, and I worked mm-hmm. in a treatment center. So I've seen what drug psychosis looks like. And it's, I get it. I can understand how we get there. And I understand where the drugs take you and what it does to your brain and, yeah. and how it, it changes you. So I, I understand. I truly understand how he could get to where he was. And I, um, I, I have, I've forgiven him. I still hope and pray that one day he will get sober and, and change his life. But even if he doesn't, I don't know, I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with it. That's amazing. Do you know if he's sober now? I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it or oh. not but um well i can i can mention this so the corrections canada has a program whereby uh, if you're a victim of a crime that you can stay informed of the offender and what what they're oh. doing what their treatment plan is or their or it's not their treatment plan but their um corrections plan yeah so i have received a little bit of information on kind of what his uh, his areas of risks are what his challenges are what his, his goals are so they're kind of keeping me in the loop on all of that because I have said that if he is sober and he is trying to change and, and recover, that I would be willing to have a conversation with him because they encourage it. Having a conversation with your offender is healing for you as well as healing for them. It's accountable. They're providing them with accountability and providing you with some, some healing if done properly. Oh, absolutely. So I am open to that. And Taylor would want it. You know, like I said on my sister's podcast, it's it's what Taylor would want. I know that he he killed her and left her there for five days. And but she would still want that. She was such a forgiving and, and beautiful soul that yeah. she would want she would want help for him. That is so big of you. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, people say that, and I don't. I don't think so. I think it. I got to give the credit to another fellow, and I heard him. So, so there's this other fellow that uh, I never met him, but I heard his story, and he lost both his daughters. One of his daughters was brutally killed, and he. It was a talk that he gave on forgiveness because would he forgive the man? who had killed his daughter. And, and I thought it was such a beautiful story, but it wasn't his story. It was, there was another woman who he heard her story 
of for forgiveness. So this is a story of forgiveness that has been passed down. Like maybe somebody hears this story and then they end up in a terrible situation and forgive somebody else, right? Like it's it's just, it. I thought of his story the moment this happened and remembered what he said about forgiveness. And uh, that started me on my path to forgiveness with Dustin. Wow. Oh, I love that. I love that. This like trickle down <laughs> effect or... Yeah, 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 it was, so the story he told, so he lost his daughter, the woman that uh, he heard it from, her son was shot in a drive-by shooting, and the uh, media, the interviewer asked her, said, you know, do you have anything you want to say to the the, the fellow who shot your child, and, and um, she said, you know, like, peace be to his family, like, we're, we're there with you in spirit, because not only did we lose a child, but you're losing your child too. And it was just so forgiving to go and comfort wow. the other, their family oh. is, yeah, they lost a child too. And he's going to jail forever. Okay. Is there kind of a, I guess something that you would want people to know about addiction or that most people might not know or realize? There are a lot of pathways out there to recovery a lot. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of, um, I don't know. It's, I think it's like the the getting help with the the trauma and the grief, and you're not ready till you're ready. But when you're ready, if you go 100% all in, you can't fail. Okay, and I love that you continue to fight for addiction awareness and education. Um, you started Recovery Day Calgary, which I was so looking forward to the event. Um, that was supposed to be, was it September, <laughs> I think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't start Recovery Day. That was a couple of other gals, but I was working on it this year. Oh. And we were so excited. It was going to be an amazing year. And then, yeah. you know, COVID. I, I was yeah. really excited about that. So that, for everyone that doesn't know, Recovery Day is all about... I guess, addiction, uh, education and awareness, right? Yeah, and it's it's very inclusive. So we have members of the 12-step community with all of the different treatment options, like there's smart recovery and refuge recovery and, and all the different treatment centers and, and mental health too. Mental health is a big part of that. Um, we had suicide prevention was supposed to be there. Just all, everybody that it touches, getting them all together in one place to mm -hmm. celebrate recovery. Addiction really is a, it's a mental health issue. Yeah. It is. And is that for kind of all different types of addiction? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's all kind of the same beast. Yeah. Yeah. It's looking for something outside of ourselves to fill that void inside. Wow. When you put it in such simple terms like that. Wow. And you also started um, the Taylor Toller Fund in Taylor's honor. Do you want to kind of explain yeah. um, what that is or, or what made you start that? That, so because I work in the charitable sector, I knew that these types of endowment funds exist and people wanted to donate. They wanted to do something. Yeah. So I set up uh, a, a what's called flow through fund is what it was called that the calgary foundation was going to hold all of the donations for us and then we could figure out what to do and we ended up deciding to roll it into what's called an endowment fund so that money gets invested and then each year the, the 
the dividends from that investment we get to distribute to charities that support addiction, mental health, and family violence. Um, and then we had all kinds of other people donating to it. So we've worked up to about $30,000 now, I think, in the funds, which means that this year we're going to have even more money to distribute to charities. Oh my God, yeah, it's just amazing. a different way of, of donating. So rather than you know, you donate $100 and that $100 goes to charity, you donate $100, that money gets invested, and then a portion of that gets do gets donated every year. So your $100 ends up being thousands over the life of this fund. So what kind of charities do you end up donating to? We, that's a, another thing that why I did this, is we get together every year on Taylor's birthday as a family, and we kind of bring forward ideas. So as long as it supports mental health, uh, addictions or family violence. So we each kind of put in who we think the money should go to and then we vote on it and decide. So I don't know who we're gonna do this year because we haven't started that process. Uh, but last year it was Sagacy. And the year before that, it was Pet Safekeeping through the Humane Society. That was in honor of Polaris, the dog that was um, daughter's dog oh wow and so can people still donate today yes yes there's a website taylortollerfund.org yeah I have just a couple more questions that I ask most guests that come on the podcast so I really want to see um what your answers are um but I guess looking back over your your journey so far is there any advice that you would give your yourself back at the beginning or any advice that you wish somebody would have given you when you were first starting out? Yeah, it's just, it's okay. It's okay to, it's okay to crater. It's okay yeah. to lose my mind. It's okay to curl up in a ball and, and sleep for a day. It's okay. It's just okay. I didn't, don't, you don't have to, you don't have to fight so hard yeah. to go through it. You can you can have a day or two to fall apart. I like that. You don't have to be strong 100% of the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, my last one for you is, um, is there a stigma or a misconception surrounding mental health that bothers you the most or that you hear most often but isn't true? So I kind of mentioned this um, on Kim's thing, but... It, I just, and I'm not complaining, Dustin, the, the fellow who, who killed my daughter, got 35 years before he's eligible for parole. And I think that's fantastic. I'm, I'm very happy with that sentence. But had he been suffering from psychosis, so uh, schizophrenia or any kind of other psychosis, mm -hmm. he would have been found not criminally responsible and gotten some help. He would have been put wow. in a in a um, like that that fellow who killed those people on the bus, and you know, so there would have been some help and some rehabilitation for him. Yeah. But because it was a drug induced psychosis, he they, the court feels that he did it to himself, so therefore he is fully culpable for the crime. But I understand addiction to know that you don't really have a choice. When when you're actively using and you're in full-on addiction, you don't really have a choice. You are driven from that that physical side of it and, and the mental side of it to just keep going and keep using. So it just felt like a double standard that, yeah. you know, if he was in, in a 
true psychosis, he wouldn't have been criminally responsible, but because it's a drugs-induced psychosis, then therefore he is fully responsible. But again, I am very happy he got 25 years. (laughs) But it just seemed like a bit of a a double standard. I don't know that there's really that much awareness about addiction and uh, as far as the courts. And as well, too, there's something here called drug court where they will release you early if you're if your offense is related to drugs, they'll they'll release you to a treatment center and there's programs. Mm-hmm. Um, but for um, for someone like Dustin, I, I don't know what's available to him. I asked, and, and it's really the only thing available to him is he can go to, they bring um, meetings into the prisons. He can go to that. Oh, wow. That's the resources he has. So, so there's not, not really... There's not really like a rehab portion of his, I guess, sentence or anything like that. No, no, there isn't. No, no. So that's where I had, um, I'm working with the Corrections Canada so that if he does want help, yeah, I will help him get the help. Oh, that's but if he doesn't, I want no help. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, that is all the questions that I had for you. Was there anything else that okay. you wanted to bring up that we didn't really touch on? No, I just thank you for doing what you're doing. It's so important. I um, I was doing some some googling. So I have a I have a YouTube channel that that I do, and um, I did something on search engine optimization. And as I was I was doing some search engine optimization for it, stigma and mental health kept coming up. As there's a lot of people searching for it. But there's not a lot of competition for it. So not a lot of people are working around the stigma of mental health. So oh, wow. yeah, good for you for doing what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much. I I love it. I love it so much. And um, growing up myself with uh, mental health struggles, I found that there was not a lot of resources or places to turn out there to not feel so alone in my battles. So that's kind of uh, how I started all of this, and we'll just keep well, going. Well, how about you? What's the thing that you found helped you the most? For me, it was exercise, and uh, mine is martial arts, so I do a lot of kickboxing and uh, Muay Thai, oh, okay. um, but I think, in general, finding something that you love that is, I guess, a hobby or, like, a release for you that can take your mind off of things or kind of distract you when you have those low moments. And for me, I know I can go to the gym, I can, I can hit the bags, I can release some stress, but I also see my gym family and the community there. And that, that helps me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. That's a good, healthy one. God, I wish mine was the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's the couch, right? And that is totally okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC. And you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.